and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. We are back again. Good. You know, I had a conference that, that took me away for a bit. You had family stuff down in Tennessee that, that took you away for a bit. But now we are back. We've missed a lot of stuff. No kidding, we have missed a lot of stuff. We are going to have the four-hour show today, correct? It, no, it, it, it's not going to be that bad. It, listen. Okay, Lewis, we're going to go strap mode three. Strap mode three, we need to pull a gap. We need to pull a gap. Don't ask questions, just execute. So, okay, I won't ask any questions. I won't take us down tangents or yeah, rabbit okay, trails or anything like that. So, of course, we have so much to talk about about F1. We're let's start, start with, with Indy. Let's start with Indy. <laughs> you know, the, the first thing is uh, congratulations to Simon Pagino for uh, winning the championship. Uh capturing it at the last race of the season at Sonoma, which every picture I see of Sonoma, and we used to live close to, to that racetrack, but every picture I see of it, it just looks like one giant parking lot <laughs> with a stretch that goes up on a hill. It does. But anyway, moving beyond that, and also uh, congratulations to Alexander Rossi, who um, clinched Rookie of the Year honors. Kind of winning the Indianapolis 500 does that. And as a result of that, he has been confirmed for another year with Andretti Herda Autosport. Well, congratulations, Alexander. Um, but so sad for F1. Yeah, you know, he was, he was asked about his F1 aspirations and, and what, this, what effect that this could have. Um, and he said that, well, you know, he's, he's keeping things open, but right now he's really, obviously, he's enjoying IndyCar, mm -hmm. and he feels that he has unfinished business in IndyCar. Well, I think he's right. He's got unfinished business, and he's got success ahead of him in IndyCar. The truth of the matter is, I think that IndyCar is loving him more than F1 was loving him. And you got to go where you're feeling the love. Yeah. And by the way, still love his logo. <laughs> the other big news is that Chip Ganassi Racing has announced that it will be running um, Honda engines in 2017 after three years as a Chevy powered team. Well, that's really surprising to me because my understanding is that Chevy is a better engine in IndyCar. Well, yes, it is to the point that Honda only won two races this past season. And one of them was the 500. Yeah. Now, Ganassi has gone back to the brand that powered the team of nine of its 11 drivers' titles and 77 of its 102 victories. So they have seen some big success with Honda. Um, the team describes it as a multi-year agreement. Okay. Now, just trying to bridge back to our roots of Formula One, mm -hmm. didn't McLaren have big success with Honda <laughs> before... And then that was what they claimed when they went back to the Honda power unit? Yeah, kind of. Okay, I just want to make sure I understand this. So I'm a little confused about the choice that Chip Ganassi is making, but I'm definitely interested as to whether or not Max is going to have a seat at Chip Ganassi. Yeah, that we haven't heard as to what their driver lineup is going to be. There's still some bodies shifting around. It sounds like uh, Joseph Newgarden, um, he has left uh, Ed 
I'm Carpenter. Ed Carpenter Racing and has moved over to take Juan Pablo Montoya's spot over at Penske. Mm. However, there's still talk that Montoya may not be disappearing. So, yeah, the, the driver's market over at IndyCar is still up in the air. Things are still moving around, but they've got until March of next year to sort that all out. True. True. And quite frankly, and I'm probably going to tick off a whole lot of people that are Juan Pablo fans, but do you ever kind of get the feeling that he's kind of like the bad penny that never goes away? I mean, he's our age, if not older than us. He is, but keep in mind, I believe it was, what, 2015 he actually won the title? So it's not like he's really all that far past his sell-by date. Did he win in 2015? I thought he I, lost it by a point. And maybe it was by a point that he lost it. It, it was close. Um, he, he's not exactly a driver who's struggling to hang on. You know, we're not talking about a Heike Kovalainen and coming to drive at Lotus. True. True. Because, you know, Heike had the extra Ks. That's what gave him his extra power. That, that must have been what it was. So now that we've looped back to Formula One, let's go back to Singapore. It's been a while, hasn't it? It has been a while. You know, Singapore is known as being a, besides being a nation state, city state. Um, one of three. One of three. We've discussed this already. Yeah, we did, but we're not going to. But it is known for its rather stringent laws, whether they would be for, oh, I don't know, track incursions to littering. So what penalty did the... Um, Gecko, the giant lizard that walked Godzilla. across Godzilla walked across the the track. What penalty did that beast get? That might have just been that they all ran away. <laughs> I mean, he, he was kind of big. I mean, but one of the stories that came out of that weekend, and a lot of media outlets jumped onto we we would have if we had recorded was a story that was actually published in the Times of Malta. Everybody got it from there. That claimed that Maurizio Arrivabene, mm -hmm. Ferrari team principal, Maurizio Arrivabene had been arrested and, put in, and held in jail for six hours by the local Singaporean police and ultimately was fined 1,000 Singapore dollars for throwing a cigarette butt on the ground. <gasps> Which, again, this is, keep in mind, this is a city that chewing gum is illegal. So to hear this story, it would seem that, you know, yeah, maybe this this is real and this could have happened. Ferrari came out at some point after this had been published and said, uh, yeah, it never happened. He was never detained. He was never fined. He never got in trouble for throwing a cigarette butt on the ground. This did, We don't know where they got this from, but this is not true. Consequently, the Times of Malta pulled the story down. Interesting. Yeah. But I didn't know Maurizio smoked. He worked for Marlboro. Yeah, for Marlboro and Philip Morris. Doesn't mean he smoked. I would find it hard to believe that anybody that works for... A cigarette company at all doesn't smoke. Honestly, they're the ones that have had the the medical reports the longest. I'm surprised that they would. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if he didn't smoke. If there was anybody who worked for for Philip Morris that didn't smoke, 
I don't think it's a requirement. It's a little hard not to. Anyway, so moving on. Can we leave Singapore yet? We can leave Singapore. There was a um, post-Singapore, a uh, meeting of the strategy group. Oh, what happened? To discuss the loophole that allowed Mercedes to stockpile engines. Okay, You know, now, the every- loophole that, Mer- that Total Wolf and Mercedes came out and said, we told you not to do this, but since you let us do it, we're going to get away. We're going to, you know, pull it out and take advantage of it. Well, and all those who are surprised, please stand up. I mean, seriously, you knew the first time somebody actually used this loophole, they were going to slam the door on it. That was, well, that was the hope. Keep in mind, how many times did we have drivers getting 65-place grid penalties and then carrying them over multiple races before they finally said, well, yeah, this is kind of stupid. Sure. So what has happened? is what they have now done to try and prevent a driver from stockpiling engines and just saying, hey, what are you going to do, make me stop at the end of the race, is the last engine, in the event that there is a weekend where a driver uses, like they, Mercedes did, three engines in that weekend, the last engine or whatever the listed part is that is used is the last acceptable part. Oh, they have to retire one if they move to the next well, one. Well, they don't have to necessarily retire it. But if they use one of those other engines or, or one of those other listed parts, they would then get another penalty mm. at the next time it was used. So if you start the race on engine number three and run, run engine number three, next race you decide, all right, we ran engine number three. We're going to reach into this stockpile that we built up and grab engine number two. You're going to get another penalty for bringing that engine in. I see. So there's no advantage to stockpiling them at all at that Correct. point. Correct. You're just going to keep getting the penalties. Yeah. Every, every time you go and swap out that engine, it's going to mean a penalty. Okay. So that's what they have done to eliminate that loophole. Of course, that won't apply to the now two available engines well, for Well, they, they couldn't do it this year. Yeah. For Cindy this past week and has – officially officially said this time we mean it Sergio Perez will be driving for us in 2017 we mean it this time and Sergio Perez has come out and said I mean it I'm really happy that this is all settled (laughs) yeah this time we actually do have it settled and and it is going to happen so all of the uh, now I did hear an interview with him that said that got him to admit that there were other options on the table for him Yes. So he's it's a one year deal, and I don't expect him to drive for Force India after 2017. You know, it it depends. If he drives the way he did this year, then yeah, I think 2017 is potentially his last year at Force India. We'll see who's going to be on the move. We we know Fernando's contract will be up, but I can't see him going back to McLaren after after what that did to him last time. Mm-hmm. Kimmy's on a one year deal. I think Seb may actually be expiring in 2017 as well. He is. And that's an interesting uh, interview that Maurizio Arribene had recently. And I don't know if you even know this one yet. No, because the last I heard, Ferrari had gone and battened down the hatches and wasn't talking to anybody. 
Well, Maurizio has been talking. And what he said was that everyone has to earn their seat and their paycheck. And that it's because they were asking if having going on and signing Vettel for an extending his contract might not give him some confidence so that he wasn't feeling like he was on the back foot or something. And he says, no, he goes, I don't believe that you can contractually lift someone's spirits. His feeling is that Vettel is so involved in all of the intricacies in the car that he is functionally uh, suffering from F1 ADD that he is not focusing on what his job is. He's too busy trying to do everyone else's. And he said that in his out loud voice. Well, you know, I was I was going to talk about Seb later. Okay. Because we were going to talk about Malaysia, but we might as well bring it up now. Sorry. And we can, we can loop back to it again later on. I promise no rabbit trails. But given the way we have seen Seb drive lately, that he is clearly pushing and potentially pushing to the point that he is overdriving the capabilities of this car. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes me wonder if there's a bit of frustration going on right now. You know, at this point last season, I don't think anybody would have predicted that Ferrari would be in the state that it's in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people have, you know, one of the things that happened in Malaysia and and we've seen for the last couple of weeks is as Ferrari has as the team has underperformed like i said they they've been pulling they've been battening down the hatches they've been they're not releasing press statements they're not talking to the press now Maurizio apparently is loath in general to talk to anybody outside the italian press because because of his language skills mm-hmm. but um, he was standing out on the grid in Malaysia last week, and the Ferrari press officers weren't letting anybody near him. Wow. At all. Interesting. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's under a ton of pressure. There's a lot of question as to whether or not Ferrari is... Um, the moves that they are making at this point are actually improving everything. There's a lot of talk about how um, what they have done as things have gotten worse is they've become more Italian. Mm. And what that is is anybody who is affiliated with the team who is not Italian, they've been outside of Oseb, they've been jettisoning. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of talk that, um, especially over on the BBC, how – the last time Ferrari did something like this, it was just before the Schumacher era, and they got worse. They didn't get better. Ah. That it was not exactly a good move. And, and th- this appears to be one of these knee-jerk Ferrari things of we need to be more Ferrari, we need to be more Italian, and that's going to pull us out of this tailspin. Right. And I don't think you pull yourself out of the tailspin by returning to uh, egocentric roots. But that being said, you know, what I'm seeing now reminds me a whole lot of 2014 Ferrari. Hmm. A lot of this second-guessing and questionable strategies and just oddball things that, that show that they're not quite as determined as, as 
you would expect them to be and forced Fernando to walk. And I think you're probably right. It's whether or not I, – I, I, I question what Seb's next move is going to look like. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be a very interesting one. But the other question is what doors would be open to him that he would be willing to go to. It's only one team he'd go to. It's only one team open to him that he could go to if he was going to leave Ferrari. And that would require Nico to move. And that's not happening. Nico's, Nico's got a signed contract for another two years. And how long is Hamilton's? I think 2020? I think they're both up in 2018 now. Are they both up in 2018 now? Yeah, I think they're both up in 2018 now. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So speaking of Ferrari, while we're, while we're still on the topic of Ferrari, um, Sauber has announced that they will continue to run 2016 spec engines in 2017. Because that worked out so well for Toro Rosso. Yeah. Monisha claims that the reason for doing this is um, as a result of where the team was in the development of their 2017 car. And because they had to make certain decisions regarding the development of the car and the design of the car um, before rules were actually finalized, that... It just made better sense for them to build the car around the 2016 engine than what they were hoping the 2017 engine would look like. I, I, I don't see how this is different than any other team out there, but this is what she has said that they had to do. She says it was a, a pure strategic decision taken even before the rules for, never, for next year were actually finished. I'm very disappointed. Okay. She is our very first female team principal. Mm-hmm. And yet she continues to make some questionable, if not poor, decisions. Because the only thing I can think of that would make that statement make any sense whatsoever is that they can't they can't afford to make any fundamental changes to the car so they're going to be basically basically running as close to a 2016 car as possible every well, team got the same rules on the same day they've had to make adjustments no she says that the judgment was not influenced by the team's financial situation she says any statements being made that this was taken because we are apparently in delay with our developments are wrong we are absolutely on plan. We have not suffered any delay there. Through the change in the ownership now, of course, we have the stability and the boost you need to step up the speed we're developing at. Obviously, there's not going to be that development on the engine side, but in our view, it's the right step we've taken that whatever we might suffer on one side, we are confident with the additions we have to the team to be focusing on compensating for that on the chassis side. If they're changing the chassis, then why can't they redesign around a 17 engine? This is what she's saying. Her crack does not match up with what I understand. Mm. She's got some different crack. 
I don't like her. We can move on now. She she says that I said we can move on now. I'm done with her. Okay. We are strap mode three. Put the hammer down. <laughs> I've got a lot of pace in me. What do I need to do? I can't get much quicker. Yeah, what you're doing is great, Lewis. That's all we need. Just stabilize on pace, and that is great. See, it's great. We're doing good. We're good. All right. Okay. Hey. As long as we're being told that we're doing great. So 2017, the provisional calendar came out. Woohoo! Um, can I start putting it in our in our iPhones so that we can block off the weekends and focus? I don't know if we should quite do that yet. Given how we've seen things shift around in the past. Um, also, and it's a little alarming, three races have been listed as to be confirmed. Well, now, we always have to be confirmed races. Well, one, one of these... I don't think it should be a surprise, and I, I don't think is actually going to happen. Germany. That'd be Germany, yes. They listed it as being at Hockenheim next year, um, and Hockenheim has said that they do not believe that they can afford to do a race every year. So I expect that— So they're not even trying to do the Nürburgring. Yeah, that, that, that deal is dead. They're, they're, they're not going in. They're, it's not happening. Um, I would guess that we will not have a Germany next year. That That's my prediction. So there's that. But the other two are Brazil and Canada. Interesting. Now, Brazil I'm not terribly surprised by because they've come off the heels of the Olympics, and I don't know what their infrastructure is looking like right now. Well, the Brazilian Grand Prix Organization, and they released a statement about this. Um, they said that they have a deal until 2020 and that the race would happen. Their exact statement that they released uh, last Wednesday. The Brazilian Grand Prix organization took notice with surprise of the 2017 F1 calendar, which shows the race to be confirmed. There is a contract in place until 2020, every pr provision of which will be complied with as it has been for the past 40 years. Five years. Now, insiders have told BBC Sport that Bernie Eccleston told the FIA that the race would be dropped unless the organizers in Sao Paulo found a significant amount of amount of more money. Uh, yeah, that's worded really bad. Basically, find significantly more money. Pay Bernie. That's, yeah, pay up. Um, now. At the Malaysian Grand Prix, Felipe Massa said it would really be it would be really disappointing to lose the race in Brazil. Brazil is a part of this sport in Formula One for a long time. Um, he says that the situation in Brazil is not easy economically, and maybe it's just some pressure, but maybe it can happen um, as opposed to fall apart like what happened in Germany uh, last year. So we'll see what happens with that. But that's apparently uh, Brazil's or er, er, Bernie's feeling is "f you pay me." Excellent. So what is the deal with Canada? Well, the issue with Canada revolves around um, updates at the Circuit Gilles Villeneuve in Montreal. Um, I guess this past year there was supposed to be upgrades to the paddock area, which is considered to be a cramped area, that did not happen this year. Mm. And as a result of that, Bernie's a little pissed. So Bernie is threatening to pull the race, I guess, unless 
these upgrades are completed. All right. Well, let's not buy our tickets this just yet. Well, see, and that's the thing is, okay, I get it. The paddock isn't that great. It's cramped. It It's a temporary circuit. Mm-hmm. But this is one that attendance has never been a question about. Right. So why pull the plug on it? Why consider pulling the plug on it? Well, you know, Barney's not quite as in charge as he used to be, so why not exercise his control wherever he can? Yeah. We'll talk a little about that in a second. Um, the other bit of news, that um, going back to Singapore, um, one of the things that the FIA did in Singapore was they did some test broadcasting of the coverage in ultra-high definition. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? Well, it would be if, A, we had an ultra-high definition television, and B, we had a way to get ultra-high definition broadcasts. But those of you who can do that, 2017, that is the plan. F1 will be broadcasting in ultra-high definition. My guess is that Sky will carry it. Um, I don't know how we would get it, given how we tend to get our coverage. Well, what we know, I mean, remember, and I'm going back in the Wayback Machine here, when broadcasters started broadcasting in HD, mm-hmm. even SD improved. It did. And the, the, thing, the thing that should be noted here is that Formula One only started broadcasting in HD within like the last six years. Right. It's relatively new to Formula One. They truly dragged their feet at it. And I think 2012 was the first year that the in-car video was coming in in HD. So for them to already be looking at ultra-high def, I think that's kind of a big deal, actually. Um, What was it? Two years ago, Sky did a test of, I think it was one of the test sessions that they broadcast in 3D. Mm-hmm. I think it was its, or it may have been practice at Spa or something like that, because there was a lot of talk about how you could actually see what that climb looked like. Right. That would be super cool too. I don't know about Formula One in HD. In 3D. Or excuse me, in 3D. I'm I'm not a fan of of. You don't 3D like ten. 3D anyway. I don't because it gives me a headache. Now, there's two different versions of 3D. I find one of them is less headache-inducing than the other. Yeah. There's the one that makes everything deeper. Mm-hmm. That's the one that doesn't bother me. It's the ones that come out of the out of the screen towards Whichever me. was the one that they did Avatar in, that's the one that gives me headaches. Since I never saw Avatar and never saw it in 3D, I can't speak to that if you saw fern fern gully you saw avatar but not in 3d just in computer animation i never saw fern gully okay then anyway this is not strat mode three (laughs) so chase carry he was talking he he is technically the new chairman of formula now now try and figure that out. The Chase carries a new chairman of Formula One, but Bernie still has his fingers in it and Bernie's gonna have his fingers in whatever Bernie can put his fingers in and you know it. Yeah. Well, Chase was talking a lot to the press in Singapore. Again, something else we didn't get to talk about while we were over in Singapore. But one of the things that he said is that 
um, he likened to running Formula One um, to a dictatorship. Um, and he says that the sport can't be a dictatorship. Oh, really? Because it's been one for quite some time. Well, it hasn't. It's a late. dictatorial it, democracy. No, actually, it hasn't. And that's what one of the things that people have been complaining about. Because the teams have so much input, and because there is no benevolent dictator overseeing the sport and the direction like there was in the previous Concord Agreement, where Bernie and Jean Todd, between the two of them, split the power and were able to actually oh make things happen. Or I'm sorry, not Jean Todd, Max Mosley mm-hmm. split the tower, split the power, and were able to make things happen. This latest version, it's the strategy group. It's a committee. Mm-hmm. Now, what Chase Carey has said is that you've got to understand that everybody wants uh, to find a path. That is not a task for a committee, as they tend to be bureaucratic. But there also can't be a dictatorship, even if probably they are used to it. So then how is he going to run the damn sport? (laughs) Did you not just take away your two options? Monarchy, maybe? How is a monarchy not a dictatorship? It's not a dictatorship. Other than the fact that a monarchy tends to be hereditary... But it is still essentially a dictatorship, and it, the power is centralized around the dictates of one person. The only difference is he's declared himself a king, mm-hmm. and he's been born into that position, as opposed to a dictator who possibly has overthrown a government and decided that he's going to just take power. Well, I mean, you have cho- the single choice two choices here you have a single point of leadership or a multiple point of leadership mm-hmm. um now i do have a very important question <clears throat> okay that has nothing to do with the leadership of f1 but i need to understand this is it possible to lead f1 without ironic hair ironic hair yes have you seen what chase carey looks like well yeah actually he reminds me a whole lot of dieter zich from uh, at mercedes just with a bigger beard or a bigger mustache. He has this giant handlebar thing going on. So does Dieter, but Dieter's is is a a smaller black one. Chase's is a rather bigger gray one. (laughs) It's very bushy. It's, 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 it's some combination of ironic and bad um, hair. I mean, we have bad hair, Bernie. We have, I just don't understand how hair can be ironic. I think candle. I think that's the whole um, hipster thing about you know ironic, overly groomed facial hair. Okay, I still I'm not seeing how that could be ironic. Maybe you know artisanally <laughs> manscaped. Yeah, artisanally manscaped or something weird like that. We but. are not discussing either Bernie or Chase Carey's manscaping. We are just not going. That's Tim Taylor, care of Tool Time. P.O. Box 3273. Moving on. So, (laughs) last week was the Malaysian Grand Prix. Yes. That, in my watching of the coverage, you know, normally we have Singapore, everybody goes, it's so hot. And it's all we hear throughout all the buildup for the Singapore Grand Prix is how hot it was. We didn't hear that. How hot is it? (laughs) 
<laughs> we didn't hear it in Singapore. We heard it in Malaysia. <laughs> Guy was walking down the street and just burst into flames. How yeah. many ice jackets did you have to have a conversation about? There was just the one. And I, uh, I'm i trying to remember which team it was that they were. I think it was McLaren that um, David Cothard uh, and Mark Weber ran into um, on the grid. And they were talking to the physio because they couldn't get to Jensen. <laughs> and talking to the physio, and the physio mentioned it, yeah, because the, they kept calling a bulletproof vest because that's kind of what it looks like. And he's like, oh, and, and, and yeah, by the way, that, that was one of our innovations. <laughs> you mean Cothard could not get close to his, you know, bro love of Jensen Button? It wasn't really his fault. Because what happened was it was the only thing better than David Cothard doing a gridwalk live is when David Cothard is paired with Mark Weber to do a gridwalk live. True. True. And that's what happened. And basically it was David went to go to Jensen and Mark said, oh, wait, here's um, somebody else and pulled David off in the other and took the cameraman because it was only one cameraman for the two of them took the cameraman with him as Jensen was going by and then it was well we'll try and get to Jensen but Jensen was now gone at that point so when David finally he had to settle for the physio ah yeah you're right (laughs) DC and Mark Weber on a grid walk is quite uh, enjoyable so let's start and unfortunately, you really didn't get to see the race. And this was—I have a, seen the race in five minutes. Yeah, you—you you got the five-minute highlight from from Formula One, but because you're on the road, you didn't get to see the race. And unfortunately, this was a really good race. It really, really was. Um, Lewis looked like he was going to have this under control. He he grabbed pole, and Nico just seemed a little out of sorts in qualifying. But you know, Lewis, Lewis stomped on it. He had a really good start, and then Nico made a mistake. His best way, to, I, I, I think truly what happened was here, Nico made a mistake, turn one. He took the turn one on that run out. Lewis had the better start. Nico took that turn a little wide, mm-hmm. wide enough that it looked like he was leaving the door open here. <clears throat> and as a result of Nico taking it wide and going into it late like he did, both Seb and Max tried to make a move. Right. Um, Max dived, or, or Seb dived down. Max had to lock up and back away to try and stay out of it, but Seb collided pretty hard with Nico. Mm-hmm. Broke Seb's front suspension, but oddly enough, Nico's car came through undamaged. Fairly, he did have some level of damage. It spun him 180 degrees around, and he wound up last. I, I don't think he was quite last, but he he was no, down. He was last. I thought he was in like 21 out of 22. Okay. Um, yeah, he ended up pretty far back. And of all people who had to comment on this, or at least the broadcasted comment, was Max. Really. Really, Sebastian is crazy. Yeah, agreed. Whoa. Yeah. Now, there, I, I've heard some people question the engineer's response back to Max. Honestly, my feeling is, what is he going to say? Hey, Max, shut up. 
Yeah. Let your driver vent and, and keep going and, and get his focus back in and go. But, um, yeah, for, for Max of all people, to make a res- to make a remark like that, um, obviously there's no love lost between the young Dutchman and uh, the four-time world champion. No, I don't think there's much love lost there either. But um, I find it amusing to hear, you know, pot call kettle black. Yeah, um, especially since Seb's. I mean, I mean, granted, Seb has yelled at drivers for oh pulling the same damn thing. Oh yeah. But and and from that perspective, yeah, I I could see some comments being made, but still. Um, so moving on. So Nico gets bumped back. Um, the tour or the Red Bulls fighting it out pretty far through. They, they had a, Max had a pretty good recovery drive out of it. And we'll get to Nico and his recovery drive because wow. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately we get to around lap 40 and, I've now had the opportunity to watch the Channel 4 coverage of it, to watch the Sky coverage of it, and to hear the BBC's um, recap of how this whole thing played out in lap 40. What happened in in lap 39 and 40 is um, we had Lewis leading the race and slowly opening up a gap to give him enough room for another pit stop. while this was going on, Red Bull started playing with their strategies to hopefully get one of their guys into a position to challenge Lewis. And it looked like Max might get there. But in order to do that, he had to make his way through Daniel Ricciardo. Mm-hmm. And there were some really good battles between the two of them to the point that both the um, Sky coverage and the... Uh, channel four coverage we're going yeah we're kind of wondering if there's going to be a radio message telling one of them to back down let the other one through could could this be since they couldn't do a uh multi-21 call because that was car number two car number one it would have to be a multi-333 or something along those how how that would happen and mark mark weber when he did the pit interview at the end of the, or, or the the podium interview at the end he even made a comment of yeah i don't know how they would have done this multi three multi 33 i don't know how they could have pulled that one off but there was a lot of talk of that how they thought something was coming they kept it clean and really good but no contact whatsoever but as they got to lap 40 and made their way down the front straight both channel 4 and sky and ultimately bbc said the same thing huh this is really odd all the spectators are standing up and they're looking down to the left they're not watching the red bull battle and as david cothard made that remark and pointed that out the world feed cuts to smoke billowing out of the back of Lewis's car and then flame coming out of it. Shortly thereafter, we hear Lewis do... Oh, no, no! Mm-hmm. That was the single most heartbreaking radio message ever. Yeah. Yeah. And as a result of what happened... 
that placed Daniel Ricardo for his first race win of the season and first win since 2014. Yes, it was. With Max in second and Nico in third. Nico, who went from last to third. There was a whole lot of talk in the first half, at least on the Channel 4 coverage, about how, you know, here it was, this was... You know, initially when Nico got got knocked back that, you know, it looked like Lewis was going to recover and and take a points lead. And then no matter what happened, Lewis was going to have the lead. And then they were going to be separated by one point as Nico was making his way up the grid. And then all of a sudden, Lewis is out. And Nico, after that first lap incident where it looked like everything was lost, is going to come out of this widening his lead. It's now a 23-point gap. So it's still, I mean, it's still one race. It's still one race, but... Well, the, the if you look at the math, just between the points differential between first and second, and I know by the time you hear this, Japan will already be over, but with five races left, the points differential is such between first and second that if Lewis won every race and Nico came in second, Lewis would still win the championship. Okay. Because of the point differential. So this is not a major catastrophe has to happen for the championship to flip yet again. But it would mean that Lewis would have to dig deep and nothing else could happen. Right. He has issues since they're at Suzuka, and that's not his favorite track. It's not his favorite track, but he has won at this track many times. Twice. At least twice. From second. Mm-hmm. Which spoiler, he gets second. Yeah, he's a uh, P two on uh, after qualifying, and by thirteen <clears throat> thousandths of a second. Yeah, it was definitely a good run from him and a good start. It could put him right up there. Yep. But before but we get starts into are Lewis's issues, so I got concerns. So before we get into that, um, still follow up and fallout from Malaysia and. Before we even talk about Lewis, Daniel Ricardo gets up, gets on the podium, and he did his his new thing. It makes me shiver with disgust to see that. But he did his well, his team, before we talk about the fact he did a shoey, his team all took their shoes off and were waving their shoes at oh, him. He was encouraged to do it not just by the team, but by the fans out there. This is going to be his new thing. Of course. He's not going to get a choice at this point. Um, but, yes, he did the shoey. He got uh, Christian Horner to at least give the appearance of doing it. I'm not sure he swallowed. Um, he may have spit it in Daniel's face. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, however, Max did. And he got Nico. To, and the look on Nico's face <laughs> was kind of awesome. Well, Nico encouraging him to make uh, Max do it. Yeah. And then got his own comeuppance. But my favorite was Mark Webber walking out on the podium interview and picking up the shoe and going, I'm not doing that, and throwing it into the crowd. And Mark has done it. Yes. I believe it was the first time that he did the shoey. Mark joined him in it. Yes. Now, um, the Malaysians apparently take a dim view. Um, if you are excited that your driver just won and is doing a shoey, um, they take a dim view. If you are attending the race and you then strip down into 
um, essentially Speedos with the Malaysian flag on your bottom and um, Dushuis in the front straight. Six Australians were arrested for doing that. And I believe that Daniel has called for their release from prison. They, they, they've, they've since been released and, and um, returned to their home country. But uh, I, I didn't hear if there are any charges beyond the initial arrests that were done. But uh, they did not uh, appreciate the Australians out there and what they called budgie smugglers with the Malaysian flag on their bums. All righty. <laughs> All righty. So fallout from this lewis was obviously upset now he he is among other things said that um this definitely puts a a dent in his prospects for winning the title but as we said it is not mathematically impossible and and that's assuming a one two from here on out that's not Nico getting taken out or Nico getting fourth or something like that, that changes all the dynamics. But, but if you look at what Lewis pulled in in July, mm-hmm. where he went four straight, it, it's certainly a possibility. Oh, yeah. So, but he was markedly upset and understandably upset over what happened and made additional comments over that um, – you know, it's really odd that all the drivers that are running these engines, the seven other drivers, he's the one who, who seems to be having more faults and having faults somewhat regularly. And he then went on to say that it appears that someone or something doesn't want him to win the championship. His quote truly was, someone doesn't want me to win this thing. That's what his exact mm-hmm. quote was. And he's clarified there, obviously, from that statement, the conspiracy theories ran yep. amok. He has since clarified that what he meant was fate, God, his belief in a higher power, something bigger than him, not a conspiracy within Mercedes. Patty Lowe has come out and said anyone with an ounce of intelligence would know that Mercedes is not sandbagging Lewis. Now, Patty also has said that that, that they failed Lewis yeah. miserably and that they have taken some blame over this. Now, he, here's what I will say. I don't believe the conspiracy piece. I don't think that there is anybody at Mercedes who is deliberately trying to sabotage Lewis. However... I do agree that it does seem kind of odd that there are seven other drivers who have not had the reliability issues that he has had, even though he has apparently only had one DNF or one other DNF the entire season. But he's had some issues. I find it hard to believe that there isn't some kind of commonality somewhere that is impacting him. And this may not be a deliberate move by anybody. And I would even say that there is a possibility that the commonality may just be Lewis. And it may be something that Lewis is doing that is causing his various issues. But I do think that Mercedes does need to stop and take a look and try and identify what that commonality is, even if that commonality happens to be Lewis. Well, see, and that's my theory, is that it's something in 
the way Lewis drives, because we know Lewis drives different than a lot mm-hmm. of other people, that there's something in that that is not meshing with this engine, that this engine has been tuned to some other standard and it's yeah. not meeting him. And that's what I'm thinking is the reality. But they did actually find what caused the flames on his car. Yes. Well, first off, Helmut Marco over at Red Bull said that um, they were the cause. Okay, I'm glad that he's accepting blame. Um, Helmut Marco said that it was Red Bull. It was because Lewis, and and Lewis was opening up a gap, and he says that that it was because the Red Bulls were putting pressure on Lewis and forcing Lewis to push harder, and that put more strain on the engine, and that's what caused the failure. um, Interesting theory. Um, however, I go back to Lewis is not classically, you know, folded under pressure. So, well, no, they weren't saying that it was pushing the engine. Yeah. They, they said it was, it was because he was pushing harder, possibly running at a higher, at a higher map that put more strain on the engine is what helmet is saying. Yeah. So he's not blaming Lewis specifically, but it was that they were pushing pressure and forcing Lewis to push harder. Okay. That's what, that's what Helmet says. Yeah. Now, Mercedes has said, and, and this is according to a Mercedes <laughs> spokesman, our analysis has shown that Lewis's engine suffered a big end bearing failure. Which, yeah, I, I, every time I've read that, I'm like, okay, you it like big butts flames. and you cannot lie. What's the deal? But, no, <laughs> but yeah, they said Flames was, out of the back end of your car is a big end bearing failure well, yes it, it was a big engine big end bearing failure that happened without warning after 618 kilometers and was preceded by a loss of oil pressure on turn 15 huh now as a result of this lewis will revert to the engine he used in singapore for suzuka um, and still has one fresh engine left in for in reserve for the rest of the season but this also means that Lewis now has the same number of engines as Nico, because Nico has one engine left in reserve as well. Ah. Um, but as a result of this, Mercedes is enforcing new running parameters across all its engines this weekend, not just the Mercedes works team, but all of the Mercedes teams, which means Force India and Williams are being hit with new engine parameters as a result of this failure. This includes a more conservative oil specification. I'm not sure what that means, but yeah, it's going to have an impact on all of their customers. Interesting. That's going to be a very interesting, especially oh, as— I'm wrong. Also, manner. They're going to get impacted. Um, that's going to be a very interesting deal because, as we know from watching the qualifying in Japan, Williams is already having some issues in Japan. Yeah. Now, new power units were due to be fitted to the Force India, Williams, and Pascal Verlines Manor this weekend, which was in line for the original plan for the season, but they are now being delayed until Mercedes is satisfied it has learned everything it can from Lewis's failed engine. All five drivers will continue with the power unit they used at the last round in Malaysia, as will Nico, who has had the latest specification of Mercedes power unit in his car since the Belgian Grand Prix. Interesting. Interesting. So the other notable failures. We had Roman Grosjean with his brake failure. 
And it was a full on, it sounded like no warning whatsoever. One of his brake discs exploded. Oh, really? Exploded? I thought it was a brake by wire issue. But it just looked like he didn't take the turn. No, this th- there was a full-on brake failure. Um, Roman had said that uh, the pedal went straight to the floor, and he had to avoid the car in, in front of him. So there was no data that suggested anything beforehand, but it was a full-on, and it was one of the rear brakes, it sounded like, that had exploded. Interesting. Yeah, I know that took him out. There were a lot of DNFs in uh, Malaysia. There were, and... It wasn't a good weekend for Haas because they also lost Esteban Gutierrez a few laps later when he left the pits and lost a wheel. Ooh. Yeah, not just lost a wheel, but the tethers let go. Oh, that was not in the five-minute highlight reel. Yeah, that really bad when that happens. Um, the team has been fined 5,000 euros for the situation. However... Esteban was cleared of any fault in this by the FIA. What the uh, the stewards had determined was that um, there were no indications in the car or how the car had handled for Esteban to realize that the tire had hadn't been fitted properly. What it sounds like is the tire hadn't been hadn't been seated properly in there, which pinched and damaged the tethers. And uh-huh. as he took a turn, the nut let go. The wheel let off, and because the tethers were damaged, away went the, away went the entire wheel and tire combination. But because all the indications within the car were normal, Esteban didn't get a penalty for it. Well, that's outstanding. I'm glad to hear that. But Haas got fined for it, I believe. Yes. Um, speaking of Haas, mm-hmm. they have had some incredible speed gains in the week since Malaysia and Japan. It looks like it. Yes. Um, There's many, many stories all over the interwebs about how many teams were very surprised at the Haas performance. Well, you got to kind of wonder if they haven't so much as had speed gains as if they finally figured out their brake issues. Because Roman's been complaining about the car and about it being undrivable, and it's been mainly in relation to the brakes, hmm. which apparently um, after Malaysia or, or in the lead up to Malaysia, um, Roman was cautioned about speaking out against the team any further. Interesting, because he did have an article in his past seven days mm-hmm. that came out and he, he basically said, you know, despite the issues that we've had, I really like working for Haas. So, yeah. In a vacuum, I thought, oh, well, that's not such a big deal. But knowing that he was told that he needed to shut it, it it's kind of like the, well, I've been told not to say anything bad. So, yeah, everything's good. It's all good Well, he'd been saying the last couple of races, he'd been calling the car undrivable. Mm. Even after he had been, he had had the contract extended. Yeah, that's that's really not a uh, career-enhancing maneuver. So, should we talk uh, stats? This week is the Japanese Grand Prix at Singapore. Notable mainly, I think, for the headgear headgear of the Japanese fans. I have not seen any Bernie puppets so far. Not seen Bernie puppets, but I have seen headgear in the shape of a track. That's a new one. Yes, it it looked like it was a hat that from the front might have looked like the DRS back wing, but Mm -hmm. when... 
she bent forward, it was the drawing of the entire Suzuka Interesting. track. So, but I don't think it was truly a DRS wing because it didn't have the multi levels. Mm-hmm. It was just that that long yeah. shape, but it was the track. So I've seen that headgear. I mean, the headgear alone is worth the watch. But this is something that I love about the J- Japanese race. These are people that truly love F1. Oh yeah. I mean, they love it viscerally, mm-hmm. and they get into it. And you think of the Japanese people as being so, you know, formal and well, they are very formal and very re- reserved. Reserved, apparently, until they get to a for- until they get to Suzuka for the F one race. <laughs> apparently, it's like it's like there's a there's a disconnect because I mean, if you have, even if you think about like the Japanese television shows and the the, mm-hmm. the craziness there, that's what carries into Suzuka, yeah, not the formality of their culture. Which I just find so incredible, and since you know, in in my other life, I deal with a Japanese company. I just find this to be so much fun. The the other thing that that I have seen a lot of this year, and uh, the first I saw it was actually in a McLaren press photo with uh, Fernando Alonso and Stoffel Van Dorn. There is apparently an origami version of Fernando's helmet. Oh. But it doesn't look like his helmet. It it looks like kind of one of the old samurai helmets, but it's in his colors and it's made out of paper. The first I saw it was Fernando wearing it, but I did see pictures of several fans wearing them up in the stands too. Oh wow. <coughs> so that appears to be a thing this year in addition to the tail wing with working DRS hats. Yes, those are always my favorites. I have not seen the Ferrari samurais this year though. Oh, those were good. That was a good one. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a, it's a happening. If you do not watch F one for any other reason than watch the Japanese race for the fans, yeah, there's nothing there's nothing better. And apparently, they give gifts to the the drivers. There's a lot of gifting that happens. Yeah, the drivers get a lot of stuff. Because they go through and they meet a lot of the fans yeah. as part of the event. And it's often race morning that we'll see if we get um, Channel 4 coverage. Uh, like Toto will go, well, some fan gave me this. Yeah. Um, didn't they do a Star Wars poster with all of the Mercedes principles in it? It's something like that. a couple of years ago. You have to go take a, you'll have to go look for it. I, I, that's ringing a bell somehow, you know. Toto is Obi-Wan. And... <laughs> so, stats. Yes. Williams was quiet this week. Williams seems to have not done stats. I, I think Williams is a little upset right now. Yes. But speaking of that, wait a minute before we get off of Williams. Mm-hmm. Williams did congratulate Lance Stoll for his Formula 3 championship, clinching that. And they're doing so much with Lance right now. I think he's going to get Massa's seat. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good bet. All right. So, what does Renault have to say about Suzuka? Well, for starters, the lowest starting position for a winner is seventeenth at Suzuka. So, passing is possible. Passing is possible. The average starting position for the winner is two point four five. Um, highest G-force at turn one for point six seconds is four Gs. And Renault, as a constructor, only as a constructor, has had two victories. Hmm. There's a 35% chance of a safety car. 
There have been 14 winners for pole, and the top speed is 337 kilometers an hour. So some Japanese facts for you. Okay. Okay. On receipt of a gift, it is traditional custom to hesitate to open the gift until invited to do so. In the past, Japanese haven't opened presents in the presence of the gift giver. It is important to open the gift carefully as ripping the paper is considered rude. Do you know that gifts have to be given with two hands and received with two hands? I think I had heard that. And business cards are done the same way. Yes, that I did know. And business cards are a very important part of meeting people. Yes. Um, Moore's Department Store in Kawasaki houses the world's shortest escalator. It has only five steps and is 32.8 inches high. Why would you need that? <laughs> Why would you need an escalator for that? I don't know. The term karaoke means empty orchestra in Japanese. Yes, I knew that. Japan has a 99% literacy rate among children aged 15 years and older. And since 1949, the country has produced 20 winners of the Nobel Prize. Not surprising on either stat. So this week's tire selection will be the soft, medium, and hard, unless it rains and then all that goes out the window. Mm -hmm. um, in 2015, there were 26 overtakes. The lap record set by Kimi Raikkonen in 2005 was 1 minute 31.540 seconds. We have a circuit length of 5.807 kilometers and a race distance of 307.471 kilometers, and it's 53 laps. So Renault in Japan, 92 starts, 10 wins. Oh, and by the way, this is both as a constructor and engine supplier. So this includes Renault's success, or excuse me, Red Bull's success. 92 starts, 10 wins, 25 podiums, 10 poles, 12 fastest laps, and 379 total points. Nice. Most of those, I think, uh, are courtesy of... One Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel and Mark Weber. Yep. So, the big controversy that has erupted around this mm -hmm. seems to be around, once again, Lewis Hamilton. Ah. Uh, yeah, well, when Lewis gets his knickers in a knot, we have issues. Well, you know, it started off on Thursday with the press conferences. Right. Um, the Thursday press conference, which featured uh, Lewis, uh, Jolian Palmer, uh, Fernando Alonso, and I believe it was uh, Carlos Sainz. Yeah, Carlos Sainz, and there was somebody else in there. I'm not sure who else. Um, Lewis got bored. Lewis did get bored. As a result of that, he whipped out his cell phone and started playing with Snapchat to yes. entertain himself, which at least some of the journalists didn't appreciate. True. I don't know how many did, um, but uh, they took him to task in the media quite a bit. There were stories um, calling him disrespectful and complaining about his actions. Um, he posted pictures of both himself and Carlos with um, bunny ears and deer ears and noses in his Snapchat feed and you know, commented during the press conference that he thought that this was funny because he was and somebody else in there also had turned around and said that, you know, this is the same format that we've had for years. We do this every single week, and, yeah, it gets kind of old. We need to do something different. Something has to mix it up. 
they didn't exactly condone Lewis's actions. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess Lewis didn't appreciate the coverage. No, he didn't. As a result, post-qualifying, he um, kind of stormed out of his own press conference. He didn't kind of. He actually stormed out. He basically made a speech that said, I meant no disrespect. I was having a little bit of fun. And the he, he people called in- it, He called it a, quote, super lighthearted thing. Yes. Is, is what he put there. And some of you in the media have been incredibly supportive of me throughout these years. And you know who you are. And you're fantastic to me. And other ones of you can just, well, you know. Here, here is his exact words oh, from Lewis's, Lewis's mouth. He said, unfortunately, the decision I will unfortunately affects those who have been super supportive. Yes, he did use unfortunately twice in five words there. Um, <laughs> anyway, those who have been super su- supportive. So that is why I am saying it with the utmost respect. But I don't really plan on sitting here many more times for these kind of things. So my apologies, and I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the weekend. And then he walked out. Yes. He didn't answer any questions. Nope. Um, yeah, he later on, actually, I think he opened it. I'm, I'm just I'm looking at the BBC article, which jumps around a little bit. So, uh, Lewis said, "I'm not here to answer your questions. I've decided, with the utmost respect, there are many of you here who are super supportive of me, and they hopefully know I, and they hopefully know I know who they are." There are others, unfortunately, that have taken advantage of certain things. The other day was a super lighthearted thing, and if I was disrespectful to any of you guys, or if you felt I was disrespectful, it was honestly not the intention. It was just a little bit of fun. But what was more disrespectful was what was then written worldwide. Now, Lewis didn't specify which articles had bothered him, Mercedes says that they didn't know which articles bothered him and that they didn't know that he was going to pull this little stunt. (laughs) So how much do you want to bet that he just got pulled into Daddy Toto's office and Daddy um, Nicky Lauda's office and told, sit down, shut up, we play this game? You know, they they may let him throw his little hissy for this weekend. I don't know. It may depend on what other engagements are going on. But I suspect that uh, this will be the only weekend that happens. The, the press, a lot of what the press said was that this w- and, and it was interesting how it was worded this way. It was all the reports and, and all the comments I heard wasn't that it was disrespectful to the press. And it, it was that it was disrespectful to the Japanese and the Japanese fans. Because they were turning out to see this stuff. Now, given that this was a press conference, I don't know when they would have seen it. Yeah. But that's how this was phrased and termed. Yeah. It's interesting. But I think it just goes to this fact that Lewis is upset. Lewis is fighting Lewis's demons. Yeah. And this is just another example of this. I mean, When I first read this article, the first thing I thought of was, did he secretly get back together with Nicole and break up again? <laughs> I mean, it's that kind of a thing. And if he loses the championship, some of this is going to be on the fact that Lewis is having a Lewis moment. I don't know. I, I Only because really this year he's been, I think, more relaxed and more chilled than he has in previous years. 
Um, you know, last year we had that after Silverstone and, and his crummy qualifying, he admitted he went home and he sulked. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen that this year. We haven't heard that this year. And the other thing that I think is noti- notable is that since, what, Monza or Spa around that time, he hasn't been nearly as active on social media. This is kind of the same kind of social media we blackout we saw around the time that he got yelled at in 2012 for posting telemetry. Yeah. Um, he's been a lot – you know, we haven't seen the, oh, I've jetted off to New York to do this, and I've been hanging in Miami to do that. We haven't seen that since. And I don't know whether that's because he's trying to actually buckle down or if something else is going on. I don't know. I mean, DC and Mark Weber said this this morning in their interviews and their chatter about it that Lewis doesn't have anything really to prove. He's already a three-time world True. champion, and yeah, he want. It's not that he's not fighting for this one, but he doesn't have a whole lot to prove. Now, problem is the foot stomping temper tantrum that I see in the Mercedes, um, in the press conference after qualifying, does not look like the Lewis that doesn't have anything to prove. Yeah. Now, now, mind you, goofing around in a press conference, he could have picked a better way to do it because they've been goofing around in press conferences for a long time. Well, it, it was that he pulled up his phone and he was playing on his phone as opposed mm-hmm. to anything else that is Goofing happened. around with people. Yes. That's the big thing there. And, and it wasn't like he had it off to the side. He, he held it up in front of his face. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was... Oh, and he was showing Fernando. There's a picture of him showing Fernando what he did. Yeah. It, it wasn't the best choice of actions. No. That's how I'll put it. Yeah, the press conferences may be boring. Would, would he rather do only one-on-ones? And, you know, they do this for the local fans and the local press and, and the global fans and the global press, too. And, yeah, they can be dull and there can be... You know, clickbaity well, headlines they, that come out of most of these, but the problem is they wind up asking them the same questions every time yeah. because I mean that's kind of well, all it's the start of the questions that they're going to get asked all weekend long. Yeah. So we'll see how that plays out. Outside of that, yeah. Once again, Honda un- under delivers. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to to Seb. Shasso mentioned he had a really good qualifying here, but he has a three-place grid penalty for last weekend. For running into Rosberg. Yeah, which I'm of two minds with that. Yeah, he stuck his nose in there, but but Nico left the door open. However, later on in the race, and I don't know if you saw this in your five-minute clip, um, Nico got into a tangle with Kimmy. When mm-hmm. he when he jumped up to take third place from Kimmy, and it, he dived down the inside, and odds are, he couldn't have pulled off that move without making some contact. Right. Um, he didn't damage his car, but it was an aggressive move. But I thought it was a decent move. Yeah. But my thought was, if you're going to turn around and penalize Nico for that, and he did get penalized for that. Well, then absolutely, you should penalize Seb for pulling the same kind of move. Oh, yeah. And they can't penalize him 
with time penalty, which is what they gave Nico, they had to give him a grid penalty. But the other thing is <coughs> we want to see drivers pulling these aggressive moves. So, and that's why I didn't necessarily have a problem with what Nico did. I mean, he was pushing hard. They were on the track. Yeah, it might have been a little tighter than he should have taken, but it was good racing. So I, I wasn't really comfortable with the idea behind that penalty because I want to see drivers do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And there was talk, the, the BBC had talked that, you know, it wasn't like we've seen in previous years drivers going off the track, all four off and pulling these passes and not necessarily getting penalized because it was good racing. Yeah. Um, <coughs> I don't think it's fair or reasonable to bend the rules for good racing. Yeah. Well. So anyway, like I said this week, Japanese Grand Prix, which by now you have already seen the results. We'll know, you know, later. <laughs> <laughs> there was something that happened today that's never happened before. Felipe Massa was oh, yes, reprimanded. Oh, wanted to mention that. Felipe Massa had a bit of an issue. Yes. Now, it's an <clears throat> odd rule, <clears throat> one that I don't even think I could fully explain, but apparently there are two lines um, that are called safety car lines, and the drivers have to, on their in-laps, they have to drive a certain speed, mm -hmm. and he was reprimanded for being too slow in those lines. Not too fast, too slow. Now, the truth of the matter is there was a display that tells the drivers what they're supposed to do in that, that space, and his display did not come up, and that's why he was – he erred on the side of being slower than he should have been, but yeah. he said there was nobody coming, so he thought it was the <clears throat> safest thing to do, so he was too slow, and he got a reprimand. But the comment – and this is, yet again, another reason why I pink puffy heart Felipe Massa. His <laughs> response to getting reprimanded was – well, I thought I would end my career without ever being reprimanded. Guess that's not going to happen. Well, you know, he's kind of getting to the point where, okay, what are you going to do? You're going to give me points on my license. You're going to reprimand me. There's not enough races left for you to go and, and, and give me a suspension. So you can do whatever the heck you want. He's going to get senioritis here shortly. <laughs> I mean, seriously. That's the reality. So I think on that note, we shall call it a show. Okay. Uh, remember, we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on this penalty that, that Seb and, and Nico got? Is Lewis done for this season? Does Nico have a chance? Um, he's certainly had some really strong drives. He's been there to, to pick up the pieces every time Lewis has fallen apart. But is he going to be able to hang on and, and keep the lead and, and get his first one, or is somebody else going to jump in there? I don't think anybody can jump in, although now we have three drivers in the 200-point club. True. But, uh, yeah, it's Lewis or Nico, and that's yeah. it. But on that note, I think we will uh, cue Barbie. Okay. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted.
I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.